You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Chris Hervishan. He is a CPA focused on working with creatives and agencies, helping them really leverage their financial information, their financial data to make better business decisions, better strategic decisions. I always find that this is a key element that many companies miss, but certainly when you're dealing kind of with creative and agency folks, I think there's just a a slight aversion or a slight uh, resistance to kind of really look at the financial data. And unfortunately, there's lots of great insights there if you take the time to to collect the right data, do the right analysis, and actually incorporate it into your decision-making process. So I'm excited to talk about this. Chris also does a lot of work with kind of more modern cloud-based technologies. Another one that I always find surprising, I always, I always chuckle when I kind of go into companies and they still have some uh, desktop version of a financial application that they're logging into and trying to figure out how to move files around and stuff. So I think Chris is really kind of on the edge of this stuff and, and I'm excited to hear about how he's approaching it, the companies work with, the insight that he's gained that I think is really going to help a lot of folks that are listening to the program. So with that, Chris, welcome to the program. Thanks so much and thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So let's talk a little bit about background. How did you get into, I guess, how did you get into accounting? How did you kind of end up focusing on agencies, creatives, marketing folks? What was the backstory? Oh, so let's see. When I was in high school, I I wanted to go to college and I wanted to be an investment banker. I had absolutely no idea what an investment banker was at the time. (laughs) I just know I wanted to be one. (laughs) Exactly. But it sounded really cool. (laughs) My dad happened to be an accountant, had an accounting background. He was a CFO for an insurance company. And he said, well, you know, maybe you want to go try the accounting thing. And so I, I did graduated college with an accounting degree and promptly and turned pro. I was a golf pro for about five minutes. And <laughs> I, what my dad said to me before I did that, it was right before graduation. He said, you know, you'll figure out when you go broke. And he was right. Best <laughs> advice I ever got. I love it. Yeah, it was, great. It was good, just solid advice. Yeah. And so from there, went into forensic accounting, did that for a few years. And then right when I left the forensic accounting gig is when I got my CPA. I moved in, you know, moved into uh, corporate accounting and started what is now, you know, my firm. At that point, it was just a side hustle doing, you know, tax and bookkeeping for friends and family, things like that. But it grew over the years, worked my way up, you know, at my nine to five, you know, worked my way through the accounting department, worked my way into finance and just had one of these moments a couple of years ago where I was like, you know, why am I here? And yeah. I think everybody who's gone out on their own has, has had that moment. And it was a very distinct moment. And uh, you know, I, I sent a text to my wife. I said, you know, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And sure enough, we kind of started down this path of, all right, well, how do we turn the side hustle into, into a full-time thing? So about six mm-hmm. months later, I went to a conference in Vegas and, and talked to some folks who are my age, who are firm owners and who, you know, have you know, been down that path. And basically texted my wife, you know, that night and said, when I come home, I'm going to quit and we're going to, we're going to rip the bandaid off. So 
been at this a little over two years now and so far so good the kids haven't missed a meal so uh you know all is all is good yeah i'm curious what what did you learn after talking with folks like what was the insight or the kind of advice or whatever that you were getting at this conference that kind of kind of got you to the point of sending the text saying hey look we we need to rip this mandate i need to make the move was there anything specific i don't know that it was so much advice it was more just a feeling of you're gonna be okay yeah, and really that simple. Like you know, if if you just go and you provide good service and and you know you, you do the right things, then you're going to be okay. Everybody, I mean, yeah. just about everybody needs an accountant, right? It's mm-hmm. it's not like we're trying to sell some sort of new widget that's new and fanciful and cost a billion dollars. Um, you know, it's it's accounting. Everybody needs an accountant. So just do the right things. You'll, you'll be okay. And just seeing that other people who are um, younger, who are my age, you know, have done it and who have been successful. And I don't. You know, and I, you know, my business coach, he's still my business coach, but at the time he was saying like, you know, Chris, like I've never had anybody go out of business. Yeah. You know, he's a coach to accountants. It's like, you're, you're going to be okay. So just getting past that point where it's really scary and real and, and you've got kids to feed and that sort of thing, just getting past that point where you're going to realizing that you're going to be okay. That's the big hurdle to cross. Yeah. The other one I find is that there's no perfect time. (laughs) If you you wait for the perfect time, you will be waiting for a very long time. Absolutely. Entrepreneurship is one of those things where, you know, in a lot of cases done is better than perfect, right? Just move, just keep moving forward, keep iterating, keep doing things better than you did them yesterday and you'll be okay. Yeah. I'm curious, like the one thing I do find is that you do need to kind of pick some kind of focus or some kind of angle. Like you can't be everything to everyone. So, I mean, the world of accounting is pretty big. Where did you see, or how did the process play out for you in terms of choosing a niche or choosing who you were going to kind of target your practice around? So I was doing, I had my own side hustle and then I was doing some work for another CPA firm as well and doing some outsourced controller work. So I've been working with agencies now for, you know, in some way, shape or form and creatives for 10 years in varying capacities, you know, things as simple as just a tax return to things as complex as, you know, outsource CFO. So been doing it a while. And it's one of those things where you get one client and then, you know, you get a sense of how they operate and who they are. And then you get another client. It's like, oh, this is kind of like the other client. And this is really cool. And when I got the, the second agency client where it was like an aha moment, really, it's like, you know, I really like working with with creatives and these types of people. And they're even more data-driven businesses now than they used to be. And, and that's the direction that it's going. And that's one of the things that I think is, is our strong suit is just being able to do data analytics and automate and things like that, which I think is really helpful to agencies and creatives. So it just seemed like a really good fit. And, you know, from there, it's just like, okay, let's make the decision to niche down. Because when you start the business, it's, you know, you know, you need a niche, or at least that's yeah. the way it was for me. It's like, I need a niche, I need a niche, I need a niche. Yeah. And you just kind of pound your head against the wall for a period of time. And then, you know, before you know it, it just kind of falls out of the sky and hits you in the face. It's like, this is what you should be doing. So that it was very much an aha moment for me. Yeah, I find it is kind of a two-part process, or at least there's two forces at play. I mean, there's there's your kind of desire to kind of find a niche or work through it, and then and then at some level the niche finds you. Right? Exactly. Like you know, they start coming to you, and and at some point you're kind of like, hmm, maybe I need to pay attention to you know the people that are coming at me, and maybe there's an opportunity based on my reputation or what, what seems to be giving me opportunity. I'm curious in terms of the you know when you look at agencies and and the creatives, you know, how is accounting or or the work that you do for them different than if you were working with you know a manufacturer or a fast food restaurant or like what what are what are the unique parts of of that type of business, that business model versus you know other business models out there. Great question, and actually the the dirty little secret, which is part of the reason why I work with agencies, is agencies work very similar to the way that accounting firms work. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, a lot of people don't realize that. So, it, you know, the, the way that my business operates is pretty close to the way that a lot of agencies operate, which is a cool thing. You know, from an agency perspective, you know, one of the things that interests me is there's no inventory. Inventory yeah. is a hassle to deal with. You run into that on the manufacturing side. You run into that on the retail side. You run into that on the restaurant side. So that's a good thing. It's just a service-based business. So for the most part, for agencies, your variable costs, you're looking at software, you're looking at contractors who you're outsourcing work to, things like that. Whereas if you're a retail shop, you're buying goods and you're selling them and you're holding them in inventory. And, it, you know, there's all of those considerations that go along with that, that don't necessarily, you know, impact the yeah. agencies. A lot of what we see is, you know, how do you measure capacity? You know, how do you measure projects and how do you deal with projects? And, and project management is huge in agencies. How do you get the data out of those systems and then utilize that to make strategic decisions going forward? Now, those are a lot of the, the things that we work on. Cash flow is always huge, but that's, you know, the same for every business. Yeah. Yeah. The thing I always find with, you know, service businesses, particularly kind of agency and, and consulting and things like that is the kind of utilization, billable hour capacity. How, I guess, do you have any kind of approaches or, or how does this come up when you look at the financial side when you're kind of dealing with these you know, you're dealing with people, right, that are, that are involved in the delivery of value to clients, and you're trying to figure out, like, am I, do I have enough? Do I have too many? What types? Am I running efficiently? Am I not running efficiently? How do you kind of deal with some of those issues around operational management? Yeah, so two ways when we're talking about capacity. One would be time tracking. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about time tracking. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. It sounds easy, and in theory, it's easy, but in reality, it's hard. Like, nobody actually wants to track their time, especially not creatives. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's it's tedious. It's it's just one of the, it's like one more thing that you have to do. And like, do you really want to track every six minutes of your life? So a tenth of an hour is is usually the way that it gets tracked. Mm-hmm. It's it's just one of those things. Like nobody's good at it, right? So if you're going to implement time tracking, and you know we we recommend time tracking, but we do not recommend billing by the hour. So two different things. When we're talking about time tracking, we're talking about from an operational perspective, not from a revenue perspective. Mm-hmm. So number one, you've got to make it as easy as possible. You know, does that mean that, you know, there needs to be some sort of a widget that sits inside of your project management system? Probably a good idea. So from there, mm-hmm. you get into the whole conversation of, well, what time tracking software do we use? What integrates with our project <laughs> management system? Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. Does it integrate with our general ledger, which would be like a QuickBooks or a Zero? So you, you get into all those and our payroll system, don't forget about that. So that, you know, gets into, you know, all those different things. Now, time tracking is the way to go, but you need to have somebody at the top that is setting the tone, who is mm-hmm. is a good example for, for the rest of the agency as far as tracking time and being on top of it and making sure that hours are getting approved and all that sort of stuff. So, and it's very much a garbage in, garbage out. So the metrics that we're going to look at, you know, on, on the back of that timesheet data if they're no good, then, you know, what's it really telling us? And we've gone through all of this hassle and all of this expense and all of this heartburn for information that's really not going to get us anywhere to where we're, we're trying to go. Yeah. So that's one way, but you got to be good at it. Yeah. The second way is take your labor efficiency ratio, which is basically just your gross revenue divided by your payroll cost. Mm-hmm. That'll give you a ratio. We want that to be at least two, 2.0. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you layer on your project management data. And then it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be set in stone, but it's going to give you an idea of, look, if we have this many logo designs at any given time, our turnaround time, we can expect to be this or, Mm -hmm. and you'll start to see, you know, when you, when you look at that data on a consistent basis, like if we have X number of tasks or X number of projects that are hanging out there, 
given our team size, at some point, our turnaround time starts to dwindle. At some point, you see the morale start to change, you know, good or bad. And just putting context around what that labor efficiency ratio is. So if if you know that your labor efficiency ratio is like super low, then maybe that's a a payroll problem. Maybe you're just paying your people too much. That's Mm -hmm. easy to figure out. You take a look at, you know, industry data and that'll tell you exactly. So you get past that hurdle or, you know, maybe the revenue is too low. That's a sales problem. But, you know, we start to put context around all of these different questions. And it's really just about asking questions. How many questions can we identify? And then how can we start to answer those? Yeah. And I, I love labor efficiency ratio because it, I always say it's a it's kind of an indicator of how hot the engine is running. And, and you can run hot for a while, but at some point that starts to build up additional wear, right? And, and you're going to have problems, right? You're going to burn out. People are going to leave. You may have issues of quality. And the flip side, if your ratio is too low, it probably means that you're not, you're not prop, you're certainly going to have profit issues. You're probably not sustainable at some level. You know, some of these functions are probably not working well. I'm curious if you're going to run into it, but so the model of time tracking assumes that you're kind of dealing with full-time employees that you're paying roughly by the hour, or there, there's a very, you're tracking the time the time they're putting on a project. Have you run into, and this because I, I seem to be running into this more these days, where companies are outsourcing components of the process, and a lot of those end up being freelancers, and some of those things actually end up being kind of fixed cost, or at least components of components of things being fixed cost. How do you integrate, or how, how have you seen people kind of integrate non, these kind of blended cost cost uh, elements of project? You know, some of them time-based, some of them fixed-based. You know, to corporate it, to come up with an overall kind of cost basis for projects. Yeah, we're seeing that more and more. A lot of outsourcing going on. A lot of it's going overseas to, mm-hmm. to you know, to various parts of the world. And which is one of the reasons why, when we're looking at industry data, it's a starting point. It's not. It's not gospel because you know some agencies have a ton of contract labor and they're using them on projects, and it's totally variable and it goes above the line and it's factoring into margin. And then you know some agencies don't use hardly any. So yeah. it, you know it's really not. You got to be careful, but it's a starting point for conversations. Yeah. Now you know we generally go one of two ways on how we treat this from an accounting perspective. If Contractors are totally variable, meaning if you didn't have this project, meaning if you weren't going to receive some revenue, then, you know, without hiring them or without having the project, then those folks go above the line. And what does that mean? It means that they're 100% variable cost and they're going to be factored into your gross margin. Gross margin is different than net margin. Net margin is also called the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Gross margin can really be thought of as, you know, for every dollar of work that we bring in, how much are we going to keep basically, and then fixed expenses are fixed, right? So we're going to subtract fixed expenses from that. But generally, it's your incremental dollar that you're going to bring into the agency. Now, in the case where you have these folks who are, are, you know, they're basically full-time employees, but not, Mm -hmm. um, those are fixed expenses. We'll put those below the line, you know, in in wages. So it really depends on who the contractor is, the nature of the work that they're doing, you know, as far as how we treat that from an accounting perspective. Yeah. And that that changes the way you kind of strategically... I guess think about them, or at least you know plan plan when you're doing your forecasting and you're doing your kind of budgeting and revenue forecasting. You know would would factor in differently because they're they're much more flexible. I guess. Sure, absolutely. So when we're talking about forecasting, if you know what your pipeline is and you and you've probability adjusted your pipeline, so we don't consider anything to be pipeline unless it's got a seventy five percent probability of actually happening. Okay. But if we know that you know our pipeline is a hundred dollars and we know that our gross margin, which gets back to that variable piece again, is I don't know, call it 80 cents, 90 cents, Mm -hmm. then we know that if we bring in this $100 of revenue, well, we're going to have to spend $10 or whatever on a contractor to help to facilitate getting that project to completion. Yeah, It's 
pretty straight math. You know, whereas if it's if it's fixed, it's you know it's fixed. There's no cost increase at all. So yeah. Yeah. Well, so let's let's go back and talk about so that in terms of getting the right data out. So we talked about kind of time, tracking time. What are some of the best practices you've seen about kind of the project? Because the other one I find is always like I've got all this time data, but I don't know how it assigns to real kind of projects or clients or service offerings or you know the things that I do for clients. How do you help or, or what's your strategy in helping structure that data in such a way you can actually do the analysis on is this project profitable? Is this client profitable? How does that work? Oh, good question. So your accounting system, meaning your GL, so QuickBooks, has to have the same level of data from a client perspective that your project management system has, Mm -hmm. which has to have the same level of data as your time tracking system. So to go a step further, if your time tracking system tracks clients and then projects as like either a subclient or a project itself, depending on the time tracking system, then that's good. You would map that to your accounting system. Because you would use a client and then a project or, or, mm-hmm. a, or a sub-client. So those two things map together. So you not only have project-level data, but you've got client-level data that you aggregate at a higher level. And then same thing for your project tracking. But you know, a lot of the problems that we see are those three systems don't talk to each other or those three systems have different naming conventions yeah. or that sort of thing. And you know, that's a simple cleanup, but you need to make sure that those three systems talk to each other because you want to know we worked on this specific project, the nature of the project, which is going to come from your project management system. We want to know how much time we spent on it, which is going to come from the time tracking. We want to know how much revenue came in and when it came in, and that's going to come from your accounting system. So from that perspective, we can figure out, okay, this client and this project has this much margin. And you can extrapolate that out to similar clients and similar projects. So when you start talking about pricing into the future and, and yeah. figuring out what your capacity is, like you've just covered those two bases and it makes it a lot easier to manage and a lot more data driven than just kind of sticking your finger up in the air and seeing which way the wind's blowing that particular day. <laughs> so yeah, 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 it makes it a lot easier. Well, I find that like once you have that data, there can be some real epiphanies around oh, sure. the business. <laughs> like you, if you start understanding really which clients are profitable and which clients are not profitable, there can be some harsh realities <laughs> that get revealed. I mean, I guess talk to me a little bit about once you have some of that data, like what are some of the decisions or what are the insights that you start to look for or advise the clients, the questions that you start to ask or have the clients start to ask about their business, about their different, um, you know, the projects they're working on, the people they have, like what, what are the things you start to analyze once you have the data? Sure. So the way that I I kind of think about our services is we provide certainty, meaning we provide good financial data and we ask questions. It's I feel like it's our job to ask questions. So there's an infinite number of questions that you can ask around this sort of data. But one of my favorite ways to start to look at this, especially for an agency that's maybe a generalist, is to assign an industry to every client and then look at the ABR, which is going to be the average billable rate. Mm-hmm and look at it by industry. That's one of the best ways. And so you've got a list of industries that you work with, you know, Mm -hmm. which ones are more profitable than than others. And then you start to think, okay, well, maybe we should be niching in this particular industry, which gets into into business strategy. What we tell our clients is there's three business strategies. There's price. So competing on price, there's horizontal market. So having something that nobody else has in your industry and there's vertical, which is picking a specific specific, um, client to work with or type of Mm -hmm. client to work with. So that can help to inform that that vertical strategy if that's the way that you want to go. You can do the same exact analysis for projects. Like what type of work are you doing? Is it profitable? Is it not profitable? You know, what's the tendency? Are there some clients where that particular type of work is profitable for and there's other clients that that particular type of work is not profitable for? Just from a client perspective, do you have clients who are at a lower ABR than others? If if you know your ABR is super low for a particular client, it's way below your average 
and you've already figured out how much you pay your people, right? Because you've got that good clean accounting data. Well, then the mm-hmm. conversation is, well, maybe we need to go back and revisit the scope of work and, and increase prices. Or maybe we need to increase prices by 5% for the bottom half or 10% for the bottom half. And then where does that get us? What is that going to do to cash flow? How much attrition can we expect from that? There's just tons of questions and you can go as far down the rabbit hole as you want. But you know, it's, that's one of the fun parts about doing this type of of analysis is that you can just come up with an infinite number of questions about your agency and just really, you know, drill down and, um, you know, figure out how to make things better going forward. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the exercises that I do with clients when we're working through strategy is uh, basically plot their clients by profitability and, and then start asking some questions. Well, what is similar about the people that are highly profitable that is very different than the people that are not so profitable and can we actually create strategic focus around that and find more of the profitable ones like where are they what kind of projects they have where are they in their business cycles like there's all sorts of interesting kind of patterns that you start to recognize once you have that data but you can't do it without the data like if you don't if you don't know what's profitable what's not it's almost impossible to do that kind of insight absolutely you know we've worked with clients where one of the first things we always say is what what's going well in the business. The next question we ask is what is not going well in the business? And then we'll get an answer. And it's like, okay, well, for the things that you listed that are not going well, how do you know? And it's like, well, you know, because we've experienced like, okay, do you have any data to back that up? Yeah. No, we don't. Okay. Well then let's take the next 30 minutes and let's put some data around where your clients are coming from or what the, which ones are profitable, which ones aren't. And then let's have a discussion. And I'll tell you probably at least nine times out of 10, what the data shows is not what the agency owner mm-hmm. is thinking is, is reality. Yeah. So it makes it very, the more you can quantify, the more um, objective you can be as opposed to being subjective. And if you've got that objectivity, then, you know, it's a confidence builder one, and then it gives a clear direction as far as how to move forward too, which, you know, is a great thing. You want to be moving forward in a way that is <laughs> more certain as opposed to, yeah. as opposed to less. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I find that I, the, a lot of the times what I find is kind of the integration of the two. So we'll take the objective data and the profitability and then I'll ask questions of, well, you know, do you want to pick up the phone when they call? Right. Because <laughs> sometimes clients, like sometimes it's like they may be profitable, but if they're in pain and he has to work with, like that's no good, right? That's going to hurt your culture. So it, it's interesting to kind of weave this data together and, and look at the sort of a multifaceted analysis because it actually, I think it gives you a more kind of whole a picture of really where do you want to go because you need to be profitable but you also need to build a culture and you need to build a reputation around that and build you know customers that are actually going to be promoters for you so like finding that data and bringing it together and having the discussion can be really really insightful absolutely one of the things that we ask a lot about a lot of different things is are you going to lose sleep over this so you know to your point if you're going to lose sleep over a particular client it doesn't matter how profitable they are. If you're losing sleep, that means that your people are losing sleep. And if people are losing sleep over something, like that's the liability that does not go on the balance sheet. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the growth process because I find that you know I, I get involved in companies when they're really looking to scale and that you know they want to double, triple, or more over the next couple of years. What are some of the challenges that you see or, or things that you feel like agencies, marketing, creative folks need to do before they really kind of look at accelerating the growth process? What comes up and, and what do you advise them on? Sure. So the first thing is really just getting good systems in place and good and good data so you can start mm-hmm. to make good decisions. So we, we've talked about that. The next thing I like to do is quantify what their cash reserve should be. Mm, yeah. And we've taken that sort of qualitative process and turned it into a quantitative process. So we want to see somewhere between two and six months and where the quantitative process comes in is identifying exactly where you should be between the, the two and the six. And ironically, going back to the last time we talked about, we call that the can you sleep at night index. <laughs> 
I love it. Yeah. So, you know, two months is good. Six months is good. You know, what, what is good for you? It's like, well, you know, what it re- really, it's whatever is going to allow you to sleep at night. And when we say two months to six months, what we mean is on fixed expenses. So yeah. how long can you operate without basically bringing another dollar of revenue? So that's number one. So what is the plan to get from wherever you are to what your cash reserve needs to be? And you're, because once you start to scale, you're going to bring on additional expenses. Maybe it's software, maybe it's more people, you know, more contractors, whatever it's going to be. Maybe you want to go buy a building, although that's much less common now during the COVID days. Yeah. But, you know, your expenses are necessarily going to increase. So we want to be in a good place before we start doing that in order to allow you to scale and and be able to scale without actually losing sleep or creating a cash flow crunch for yourself. So the the cash reserve is super important. From there, what we like to do is is try to figure out, well, you know, how good can this be? So we'll look at what what we call a 555 analysis. We'll take revenue, we'll add 5% to it. We'll take cost of sales, which is going to be your variable expenses. We'll subtract 5%. And then we'll look at fixed expenses and we'll subtract 5%. And then usually that will give you profitability that's about 50 to 100% higher than where you are right now. So that's kind of like, you know, if you can move the needle 5% on any of those things, which is why having that ABR by client is so important. Like what happens mm-hmm. if you increase by 5%? This is this is kind of the precursor to this analysis. Um, yeah. So, hey, if you want to double your profitability without really breaking a sweat, that's where you start. And then you start making the hard decisions and start diving into the data. You know, what vendors can we do without? What subscriptions can we do we know that we're always going to use and maybe we can go to an annual subscription as opposed to a monthly subscription? You know, do we really need this expensive office space, you know, given Mm -hmm. our capacity, all those sorts of things, who are the, who are the clients who aren't profitable? Can we increase, you know, our fees on them? Those are all the questions that you can start asking. Yeah. Yeah. The one I always find is, is pricing. I mean, I, 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 you know, like a 1% increase in price goes directly to the bottom line if you do it right. And I, I just find a lot of companies just leave money on the table. I don't, I don't know what your experience is on that. but A hundred percent, because everybody's always so, you know, nobody wants to make their, their client upset. So everybody's yeah. kind of timid. So once you get these people in the door, you know, they already love you. They, you're providing them with great service and a great product. They should be the easiest people to, you know, to, to get more revenue out of because they yeah. already love you and they'd probably pay a gazillion dollars to do what you do because you know nobody's yeah. price conscious but everybody's value conscious so if you're driving value to these people yeah. you know that's that's the easy place to start as opposed to going out and trying to find new clients and you know reinvent the wheel and that sort of thing so that would be the place to start on the revenue side i think you know in that equation where we're talking about the 555 yeah revenue is the easiest place to start yeah for sure and maybe you can't move the needle five percent on each of those but maybe it's maybe it's two percent if you can't move the needle two percent on on each of those three categories then you've got a different problem you're playing the wrong sport mm-hmm. um but that's where we go so we're you know we've got our cash reserve we figured out where the holes are in, in the financial statements in order to get us from where we are to where that cash reserve needs to be from there it's a pretty easy process to figure out how long it's going to take and then after that we're kind of just, you know, fine tuning everything. We, we're going to start forecasting, taking a look more into the future as opposed to scorekeeping, which is looking in the past and then, you know, documenting processes and stuff like that. But that's basically our playbook to how to how to scale to an agency. Yeah. What are some of the things for a, for a company that's listening to the program here and kind of figuring out where to start? What, where do you recommend? Like, do you have a kind of a triage process or a, a, a process by which you kind of assess and kind of figure out what needs to get done first? Or how do you how do you suggest they proceed on this? Yep. Start with your systems. Um, project management system, time tracking, if you're going to go that route and your accounting system, every client that comes to us, there's always cleanup that has to happen on the accounting side. You know, we can't talk about client profitability. We can't talk about agency profitability. We can't talk about, you know, where can expenses be cut or where the opportunities are from a financial perspective without good, clean accounting data. 
that's always the first place to start. And then from there, it starts to inform decisions because we've got good, clean data to work with. And it allows us to ask a lot of interesting questions. But systems is the place to start. Start gathering that data. Start gathering the data that's going to make sense for how you want to operate your agency. And start to analyze it and just figure out, you know, what questions can I ask? Or what questions am I going to want to ask in the future? And where can I get that data from? That's the place to start, get it cleaned up, and then you can start to scale and start to do all these other fun things that are, you know, data-driven decisions. Yeah, yeah. No, that's excellent. I, I think that it's going to make the scaling process both easier <laughs> because you'll it will just you'll have more data to be able to make better decisions and, and hopefully a little more faster, right? Like it's, it's going to help you make more decisions more quickly and see the opportunities and take advantage of them. I always find that companies that have good data can just make progress more quickly on being more strategic about the growth process. So I highly encourage Hundred percent. The businesses that scale without having clarity or certainty around their numbers and, and what it's going to mean in the future and where they actually are right now. If you don't have that certainty, then a lot of times what you're left with is, oh, we scaled. We hired one more person. And then, you know, six months down the line, it's like, holy cow, we don't have any cash. What happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's the sort of thing that can happen if, if you're not scaling in the right way. And if you don't have the information that you need before you start making decisions that are going to be expensive. Yeah. I always say more companies die of drowning than starvation. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That can be your, uh, terminal event when you get too far ahead of yourselves and over your skis and you know because you run out of cash you can't pay your people like then you can't do the projects then you you don't deliver your reputation starts to go down and then people don't want to work for you like it just it's a vicious negative spiral so okay. yeah i think that's a, a key one. Oh yeah think about it like what happens if you hire somebody and you shouldn't have you just you didn't have the cash flow or you did you know your capacity was already too high Mm-hmm. So you hire somebody and then, you know, they change their entire life to come work for your agency. And then six mm-hmm. months down the line, you've got to let them go because you made a bad decision because you didn't have the information that you needed when you made that decision. Mm-hmm. And now they're upset. You've you know turned their life upside down. And then before you know it, you've got a one star review on Glassdoor. And then what's mm-hmm. that going to do for everybody else you try to go hire? And there's like this downstream impact that I think a lot of times gets lost in the moment, especially when you're, you know, just kind of throwing grass up in the air and seeing which way the wind's blowing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, being more intentional, having the right data is going to, uh, it's going to help in, in many, many ways. But yeah, I've seen it happen more than once and it's, it's highly unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. Yeah. Chris, it's been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? Absolutely. So betterwaycpa.com, that is our website. Email address, chris at betterwaycpa.com. And we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, betterwaycpa. And if you want to learn more about what we talked about here today, you want to kind of get a little more down into the weeds, um, betterwaycpa.com slash data-driven agency. It's a brand new ebook I just wrote. It's about 50 pages, very digestible, but it gets down into the weeds on how to become a data-driven agency and kind of how to go from here to there. Excellent. I'll make sure that all those URLs, email handles, the links and everything are in the show notes so people can click through and get that. I highly encourage everyone to go check it out. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.